My goodness, I love being in Austin, Texas. I love it. I mean, I need y'all to know I love this city. I love it, love it, love it. First of all, um, because of you all, I love Red Rocks Austin. Number two, I love Velvet Taco. My goodness, like, I need y'all to know, if ever I am just in need of another touch of Jesus, and it ain't on Saturday or Sunday, I'm gonna show up at Velvet Taco on Monday. He meets me in that place. Uh, Whew, I'm trying to get them, you guys can help me, honestly, email them this week. I'm trying to get them to name the number one, the Dougie Fresh, after Pastor Doug. I just think, like, they should rename it. Let's just have the, the Doug Dub on the menu, right? Uh, and, and I love being here because I, I truly love Doug, Ryan, and Ethan. Um, I do have a little bit of beef with Doug, and we haven't had the opportunity to process it privately, but I feel like now's a good time. Um <laughs> Recently, Pastor Sean, who's a senior pastor up in Denver, um, he and I were talking, and he said something to me that was very um, uh, discouraging is what it was. He said to me, he said, James, isn't it crazy how much younger than you Doug is? I said, no, it's not crazy. He said, yeah, like he's just way, way younger than you. I said, man, how, how much younger are you thinking? He's like, I mean, got to be like a decade. I said, bro, what? He said, yeah, like, what are you like? You know, you're like 45. I said, wait, y'all didn't laugh. I'm not 45. Like, <laughs> now we got beef. Okay, so I said, my man, I'm not 45. I'm 38. He said, how old is Doug? I said, he's 35, three years. We, we the same age. He's like, your face. <laughs> And honestly, as I process it in this moment, I realized, I think he was just saying I was ugly. He didn't have nothing to do with my age. Um, I know that Pastor Doug's love language is to be roasted and sarcasm, so I worked real hard on it this week. I was like, I'm going to get him. I'm going I'm to show him how much I love him. I'm going to prepare really hard. And so, you know, people say my doppelganger is Shrek, so I was like, you like that way too much. Um, to say my doppelganger Shrek, so I was like, I'll come up with a doppelganger for Doug. I got him. You ready? <laughs> you look like if Ryan Reynolds and Tom Cruise had a baby. <laughs> you're really handsome is what you are. That's what I came up with. I was like, hey, you're funny and nice. Like, I, every, th every time I try to roast the guy, it's like I just came up with more compliments. Um, so I didn't like that at all. Um, but what I did find is that I truly love these guys. And what I found is every time I'm around your leadership, um, like pastors will say this stuff, they'll say, every time I'm around this pastor, he makes me love God and love people more. And that's great. But they do something different than any other person I'm around. They make me love God and people more, but somehow they make me love how God made me more. And I got a little hunch that that's some of the secret sauce of what happens at Red Rocks Austin. It's not just I love God and I love the people around me, but I love how God made me and designed me and created me. So would you help me show some love to Doug, Ryan, and Ethan this weekend? Love you guys so much. <laughs> Doug mentioned that we're in the last week of the series, and they always say that you save the best for. That's not what they did in this one, though. They uh, started with the best, and they're ending with me, and I need you to know up top. What you're getting this weekend is not a relational expert. I've written no books, zero books, not even a blog, right? Like, my Instagram posts are one sentence and an emoji maybe, right? Like, I, I'm not a prolific writer. I, I'm not somebody who's done a ton of research. I don't have a doctorate in relational psychology. What I do have is a doctorate in the school of hard knocks is what I have. Because for me, relationships has been something that I have had to work on. Like, if you're looking for somebody who's been really good at it as an expert, no. But th there's something about when you've been through something that you have to study it and learn about it so you don't keep going through the same cycle. For me, my life started as a child in trauma and pain and brokenness. And because of that, I developed patterns connected to my pain that started breaking the relationships that I wanted for my future purpose. So I had to start diving in, figuring out, like, what about relationships? And as I came back to faith, as I came back to the church and really following Jesus, I found out God actually designed us for relationship, which is awesome and scary because I'm an introvert, right? So I'm like, wait, God designed us. So in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God creates man and says it's not good that man's alone and gives him a companion. So we are built for interaction with other people, which means God has a design for our relationships. Now, in most relationships, what we find 
is that the problem is never the thing. It's about what we said about the thing. Like most romantic relationships, coworkers, friendships, have this thing that comes up in conflict. It's called miscommunication. Really, it's just a miss on communication, right? There's something about communication that's difficult but also powerful. We see in the very first book in Genesis that God, when he was creating everything that we would see, feel, knowing about the galaxies and the universe, he used words. In the very beginning, it says that when God wanted to create light, he said, let there be light, and there was Okay, wait a minute. There was context clues. You don't even have to know the Bible. Let's try it again, okay? So the church I grew up in, when the preacher stops preaching, you get to preach, okay? So God, in the very beginning, said, let there be light, and there was? Oh, favorite service, y'all win. Here we go, okay? Let there be light. He used words to form the world. Since then, human beings have been partnering with our creator to use words and communication to shape our world. Let me prove it to you. I'm going to give you some quotes this weekend that are going to remind you of moments of movements in our history or in your own life. For instance, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This was said in a moment of heightened division in our nation in oppression, in suffering, he stood at the precipice of a moment and used words to move people's feet and lives to cause change in our country. Just for a moment, I want to take a, a second to acknowledge it's Black History Month. And in Black History Month in our country, where we acknowledge all of the achievements and accolades of black brothers and sisters across our nation, I want you to know that for me personally, my theology, my understanding of who God is, my worship, my preaching has all been changed, challenged, and grown because of black brothers and sisters, not just outside the church, but inside the church. So let me just say this, as a guest pastor, one of the things I love about Red Rocks Austin is you look more like heaven. My black brothers and sisters, thank you for trusting us with your feet to show up in this place, to help us look more like heaven, because without you, we are incomplete and an incomplete picture of what God formed when he designed humanity. We see you, we love you, and we're thankful for you, not just this month, but we're thankful for you being a part of this church. Amen? That's a good chance for you to clap. I also just want to say this. If that made you at all uncomfortable, I do not care. <laughs> I just mean that as kindly and as pastorally as I can. Like, if that rose up something in your heart, you need to do some business with God, okay? I love you. All right, let me let you off the hook now. Let me let you laugh. You're like, oh, it's too tense. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let me give you a little anesthesia. We talked about heart surgery. You need a little anesthesia. Let me give you one. I'm going to give you a quote by somebody you don't know, but I know you know the quote. You ready for it? My mom, Laura Powell, you've never met her. She grew up, well, I grew up hearing her say this all the time. I brought you into this world? Dog, my mom tried. <laughs> like, like, I will take you out. You want to cause movement and change? In a moment, right? I'll straighten up real quick. Okay, let me give you another quote. By Frederick Douglass said this. Frederick Douglass said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Wait, 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 did you see what just happened in the room? This happened every single time I share this quote, everybody goes, hmm. <laughs> it does something in your soul. The power of communication and words, words shape our soul. Did you ever grow up hearing the phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones? Yeah, words will never hurt me, that's the biggest lie. Words bruise the soul or build the soul. Oh, quotes are powerful. Communication is difficult, but it's important. Let me give you one last quote. Now, this one's interesting because this quote, it doesn't matter who you've heard say it. It doesn't matter when you heard it. It doesn't matter who in the building heard it. I need you to know we all have the same emotional response to this quote. You ready for it? Anytime somebody sends you a text message DM, <laughs> we need to talk. Some of y'all sweaty right now reading it. You're like, I got to check. Did I, wear, did I wear to y'all? No raising the hands in the last song. Okay, right? Makes you sweaty. Why? I've never had somebody go, James, we need to talk. You're doing such a good job. I've never had somebody, after you're done preaching, come on and go, hey, man, we need to talk real quick. And be like, that was amazing. It's always like, we need to talk. I hate you, right? My wife has never said, babe, we need to talk. The way you took out the trash this week was immaculate, strategic. You did it to perfection, right? No. And I love you so much. I know you would encourage me that way, but 
We need to talk. So I just decided to title today's message, We Need to Talk. We need to talk because what we've done in our society is because communication has become more difficult and critiqued, we stop talking. But scripture is so clear. Proverbs says this, that the power of life and death are in the tongue. In the tongue. And those who eat of it will enjoy its fruit. Oh, this is important for us to recognize. Pause for a moment. There is no neutrality in my words. Every word I speak will build someone up or tear someone down. It will speak life into someone or death. I did some research, went back to the original Hebrew and language in which the scriptures are written. I wanted to study what does life mean? It means life. What does death mean? It means death. Then I got to the word fruit and I had this epiphany that what the writer is telling us here is it's not just a product, it's produced. Oh, this word fruit actually means produce. It's an agricultural term to help us understand that my words don't just show up on the tip of my tongue. They're actually connected to the root of my heart. That every word was a seed that was planted that now has formed roots and fruits. So today, what would it look like for us to analyze the area of communication? So in order to do that, I want to start with three bad strategies for every relationship. You ready? Three bad strategies. The first one is this, living with unmet expectations. Living with unmet expectations. This is powerful because many of us have lived with this bad strategy and we think the antidote to an unmet expectation is just to tell someone. I used to tell people, I say, life's biggest frustrations are coupled with unspoken expectations. It's like, that sounds good. It's a lie. It's a lie. Actually, expectations in any relationship create a debt and debtor relationship. This is what I mean by that. If my wife and I, we've been married over 14 years, if I have an expectation that seven out of seven days, she's going to wake up, roll over, look at this face, and say, I love you. You're the man of my dreams, the most handsome man to ever live. That's my expectation, seven out of seven days. If she does that seven out of seven days, all she did was meet my expectation, all that lying, and she got equal, right? That's it. If she does it six out of seven days, she failed. Why? Because my expectations did not equal the outcome. Isn't it important for us to analyze what expectations do? Expectations create this relationship of deficit where I'm losing or someone else is losing. It never leaves us at equal ground. We're always wondering, where do we stand in the relationship? Last week, Ethan, when he was speaking on relationships, he talked about the wise sage named Solomon who was attributed the authorship of Ecclesiastes and how he talks about meaningless and so I decided to start this message in this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Like, dude, that's your next tattoo right there. That is full of hope right there. Don't you just get goosebumps on that? You're like, yes. Let me give you some context to this. Solomon has accumulated all the world's wealth, has all these wives, treasures, everything he could ask for. And he asked for wisdom to understand the value of the things he had accumulated. And when he gets wisdom, he says, the things I found, accumulated, purchased, are all meaningless. My expectation, wisdom showed him my expectations were off. What would it like for us to go, wait, my expectations are off. Now, none of us have expectations because we're bad people. You're all the best people on the planet. You're amazing. You're amazing. If no one tells you today, you're amazing, okay? But we have expectations not because we're bad, but because we're human. And many of us, our expectations were built this way. We had a picture when we were growing up of what friendships or relationships look like. We were handled, handed a bunch of puzzle pieces and then asked to put together a, a puzzle, a new picture. But this picture isn't the same as that picture and the pieces don't match. So we're walking through life as adults trying to go, well, this is what I saw them do. This is what I saw, like, Hey, that couple posts all the time on Instagram. They're in love. They never fight. Yes, they do. They are amazing. No, they're not. Okay? So we have all these expectations. For instance, when I was growing up, when my parents would fight, they got real loud. They would yell, right? So I decided when I get married, I ain't never going to yell. I'm never going to yell. I'm never going to raise my voice. I will not do it. I'm going to do something different. So my wife and I, we got married in our first couple weeks of marriage. We had a uh, passionate disagreement is what we had. And um, because she's here with me and in the room, she was right. <laughs> I value my life. Um, 
And so we're having a passionate disagreement, and I feel myself getting a little bit tempered. And so what I do, I was like, I'm not going to yell, so I just did this. Dude, you're going to love it. I just grabbed my keys, and I was like, I'm going to go for a drive. And I walked out, and I drove off. Wait, did you see that? Dudes were like, oh, that's a good idea. And the girls were like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You still breathing? <laughs> I get down the road, and I'm, I'm, for real, pat myself on the back. I'm like, husband of the year, I killed that. Look at me, didn't yell. <laughs> First year of marriage. Expert got him. Like, I'm so happy. Phone rings. My wife's on the other side of the phone crying. Now, she, she ain't a crier either. Like, this, like she's crying. And she's like, you left. I was like, I know, <laughs> and I didn't yell. She's like, you left me. I didn't know that the picture she had been given is every time her parents would fight, her father would leave. She didn't know he wanted to come home because of an addiction that would sit at their doorway. Two different pictures, different sets of puzzle pieces, different expectations that were going to go unmet if we didn't wrestle to the ground our own expectations to be able to appreciate each other. If you don't live with unmet expectations, second bad strategy cultural hand, hand you is live with fight fatigue. Live with fight fatigue. Oh, Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 gives us another hope-filled, tattooable verse. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Same argument. Same argument. It's the holiday argument. It's the your parents or my parents argument. It's the your way or my way argument. It's a, it's a your coworker has showed up 15 minutes late again argument. Traffic's the same, bro. You've been doing the same job for 10 years. Red light's the same. Like, no, you're 15 minutes late every day. Same excuse. Just the same thing. But you and I are hardwired by God for efficiency. Nobody in this room has been thinking, oh, I need to breathe now. <gasps> Exhale. Right? Nobody walked into the, the building today and approached the door and went, what is this architecture? How do I function with it? <laughs> Google it. This device. Oh, my goodness. What is this? What meaneth this? No. You're hardwired for efficiency. You are hardwired in such a way to go into old problems with the same solution, reconcile them, and move forward. That strength in our brain can become a weakness in relationship. Why? Because my response over time becomes the same, and I check out on those I need to check in with. I stop engaging with those I need to be intimate or close with. Okay, you don't believe me. Let me prove it to you this weekend that you're hardwired for efficiency. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little game. I know, in church, it's wild. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture. When I show you the picture, you're going to participate, and you're going to yell out what the picture makes you do. You Describe it. Just yell out. Almost anything, okay? Extroverts, you ready? This is your moment. Introverts, just say something mildly loud and appropriate. You're fine, okay? Ready? We're going to try it. Be safe on the first one. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Way less people knew what that was. This is the parking issue at the service. I now understand. Okay. All right. Next one. One, two, three. We all know what go is and none of us know what stop is. I see how you are. All gas, no brakes kind of church. What about this one? My wife went in there two and a half hours ago for some toothpaste and spent $247 on throw pillows and two candles. What did you guys say? Target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Target. Got you. Okay. What about this one? Overpriced coffee. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, last one. <laughs> did you hear it? death. <laughs> Someone was like, a horrible moment, worst fear, sweaty, sweaty in my socks right now. Please don't let this happen during this service. Dude, shut up. We got to get out of here. I need my maps, right? It's so crazy. Now, here's what's interesting. I showed us same picture. All of us had similar responses because of hardwire efficiency, but we all have different backgrounds to what has taken place to teach us those responses. Here's what I want you to understand. Culture has shaped us in such a way that we go on argument autopilot and we go into new relationships with old problems responding the same way. I go into new relationships treating this person like they hurt me when they weren't even there for it. Why? I mean, I'm just hardwired for efficiency. I start building walls to protect me and those walls end up isolating me. Oh, friends, it's important for us to recognize this weekend 
that one of the traps of culture and the enemy is to isolate me and to set me apart by myself. And if I'm not careful, fight fatigue. Going on autopilot will put me in that zone. Okay, number three, third bad strategy. If you don't do those two, you'll use weaponized words. Weaponized words. Oh, man, I got to tell y'all, if there was one category I would be an expert in, that's, that's the one. Oh, man, my way of standing up for myself growing up, right here, weaponized words. I mean, God made me 5'9 as a grown adult. Like, <laughs> as a junior hire, my way of standing up was to, like, cut you down or build myself up, right? And my only tool at my disposal was hands, because I can lay hands and throw hands. Um, I'm holy and hood. Don't mess with me, all right? But also, I used my words, and I would chop somebody down. I remember my parents having to take time to teach me certain verses. I remember they made me memorize a verse in Scripture that says, Set a watch about my mouth, O Lord. Like, think how bad you got to be as a kid. <laughs> be like, God needs to watch your mouth. <laughs> like, you can't even watch it yourself, right? This is what Scripture says about the words of the reckless. It says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You ever found yourself in a moment really upset about something and you're like, I'm going to get off my chest. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to say it. And you say it and then you look at them and you end up going, oh, my bad. I didn't. Oh, y'all know I didn't mean it like that, right? Yes, you did. Let's be real. Can we all be honest? Don't lie in church. Unicorns die. You got to tell the truth, all right? Here's the truth. Here's the truth. When we say we didn't mean it like that, here's what we mean. I meant to say it. I meant it to hurt. I didn't know it would make me feel that way. Oh, yeah. Like, we think on it. Isn't it interesting? You know the one thing that will blow the relationship up. You know the one thing that will get you fired, and you want to say it and test it. Why? Most of us are trying to test the strength of our relationship with broken patterns and words. I want to test, will you walk from me? I want to test, will you leave me like the last one did? I want to test, can we sustain this? And that's a bad posture and a bad process for purpose-filled relationships. Some of us need to discern how we're operating in the conflict so we can go from commander to communicator. I'm going to give you three categories, three categories of how we operate in conflict. Some of y'all, I'm telling you, this, you need to write this down. This is going to help you. Ready? Three categories. It's not on the screen. This is extra credit just for 1030. Here's what it is. First one is I have to ask myself, am I a spewer? Am I a spewer? Am I somebody who is, oh, here, here's the cultural I'm a verbal processor. Oh, you mean you just say stuff without thinking? You mean you just fly off the handle and say a bunch of hurtful stuff and then say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that? No, no, no. I got to be careful. And listen, me, James, I'm a spewer. Man, nobody has ever had to ask me, hey, what's your opinion about? No, they know. I already told them, right? <laughs> if you're not a spewer, here's what you are. This is the group of people who are like, yeah, spewers are bad. You ready? You're a stewer. <laughs> Oh, you're the person that's just like, I'm going to stuff it down, way down, never going to address it. They hurt me six months ago, and it's like a boiling pot and boils over, and then you let them know. Do you remember what you said in 1984? <laughs> nah, I got no clue. I wasn't even born. I'm not 45, right? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy how we process. I, I love it. Somebody in the lobby said this weekend, it said, it could be spewers or stewers, or it could be steamers and screamers. I was like, dude, that's dope too, right? But it doesn't rhyme with my last word, which is a made-up one. And here's the third category, throughers. Throughers. You, you're like, they throw things? No. No, they're the person who can't wait to get out of the relationship. And here's what I mean by that. You've already pre-scripted every conflict. You go, if they say that, I'm out. If they do that, I'm out. If they go there, I'm out. And what you'll find yourself is, is building all these categories and you start looking for it because what you want to do, let's be real, you want to leave before they can leave you. You go, if I can be out and detach from this thing, it won't hurt me. Listen, I'm close enough to people as God designed when they're close enough to hurt me. I'm close enough to people as God designed when they're close enough to hurt me. Proximity is powerful in our lives. These are three bad strategies that will get you nowhere in life. Thankfully, for every bad strategy of the world and of the enemy, we have biblical strategies for better, healthier, long-lasting, purposeful relationships. Let me give you the first one. The first one is this. Earn their attention before giving your opinion. Ooh, something just 2024 countercultural. 
earn their attention before giving your opinion? Like, we live in the society that's like, speak your truth. Tell them how you feel. Trust your heart. No. No. Do you know speak the truth is not in the Bible? No, no. Speak the truth in love is. Speak the truth in love. It's got to be coupled with something. Oh, it's important for us to go, I'm going to earn their attention. I'm going to earn the right to give my opinion. See, we, we, we live with these social media platforms, right, where we share spaces. So I can post something which we all know gives you the right to then comment on my post. We ain't even got to be friends. Like, you just have random folks show up on your Instagram like, that's dumb. What? Right? That's the price I pay, right? But what's happened is that thing that used to be technology has showed up in real life world where we think if you share a space with somebody, you get to give your opinion about something. No, 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 I've got to make an investment before I make a withdrawal. Anytime I put an opinion in, a critique in, or bring conflict about, I need to first put a deposit in on the relationship before I withdraw from the relationship. How do you deposit? I'm glad you asked. With love. i got to choose to love somebody before I can lead somebody. How do I do that? Well, in the 1900s, there was this author who wrote the five love languages. And I like saying the 1900s because it sounds like a long time ago. It's like 1980s. But anyways, like my son the other day was like, Dad, you're from the 1900s. I was like, yeah. It's like five years ago, son. I don't know what you're talking about, right? But this is the list he came up with. I'm going to give them to you, the five love languages. The first one is this, is words of affirmation, encouragement. I noticed something specifically about you, how you're designed or what you're doing. Number two, physical touch. Now, these are not in any particular order, except these are my two favorites, so I put them first, right? <laughs> so my wife learned this about me. She learned how to love and lead me. I'll never forget, she got home from the grocery store one day, and uh, I was bringing in the groceries, as I do. And guys, you know, how many trips did it take me to bring in the groceries? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. We're built for this. This is my moment. I walked out there. I said, I got this 47 grocery bags, two cans of Coke, got the dog food on my shoulders. Let's go. I walked in there. I'm like, yeah. And all of a sudden she goes, babe. I go, yeah. She touched my arm. She goes, your biceps look so big. I started picking up kids. I'm picking our puppies up. I said, hey, woman, don't go to Target next time. Go to Costco. I, I got more room. I'm built for this. I'm built different. Like, some of you are like, James, that's manipulative. I can't, she manipulated you. No, 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 no. Was she going to ask me to help with the groceries? Yes. Was I going to help with the groceries? Yes. Love takes things that others endure and makes it enjoyed. That's what, the, the same request was going to be there. She just said, instead of this just being, like some of us, we got this posture. Well, they should do that because if they love me, wait, that, that doesn't make me want to love anybody, Right? Like, what would it like to go, well, that, that's what a friend would do. That's living with expectation. Love puts earnest money in the bank account of relational equity. So when I need something, I can withdraw from a place that has already been invested in. I'm stewarding something, not being selfish. Okay, the third one is gifts. Gifts. Now, this is my wife's favorite love language, right? I'll never forget, we've been married for a couple of years. We were balling on a budget. We were poor. And... We got around Christmas time, and she said, hey, babe, this year at Christmas, we don't need to buy each other anything. This year, let's just sit around a tree and share our love. I said, bet. <laughs> Say less, ma'am. I'm in. We get to Christmas. We're sitting around the tree. I said, I love you. She said, I love you so much, babe. I got you this gift. I said, babe, we said we weren't going to do Christmas gifts this year. She said, but I love you so much, I couldn't not buy you a gift. If anybody in your life ever says, don't buy gifts, they're lying. It's a lie from hell. It is a, it is a bad strategy of the enemy. Don't ever believe them. Listen, let me tell you, I'm on to game now. Listen, I'm 14 years in. Let me tell you what I, I got a closet in my house. Oh, it's, gifts are hidden. They're anonymously holiday wrapped. I'm just waiting. Let her show up. Flag day, babe, I got you a gift. I got one too, bam, there it is. Unwrap it. Bought it six months ago. Don't even remember what it was. Oh, it's a purse. I love you, right? You know, it wasn't thought into it. I thought about it ahead of time. Some of y'all, you, you want to feel it. 
That's what you want. You want to feel the love to show the love. No, no, no. No, that's, that's, that's young folks stuff. That's what like one song called puppy love. No, no, no. Grown folk love is I don't need to feel it to face it. No, no, no. That's the way you receive love. I'm going to figure out how to do it. So you know what I have to do? I have to plan. I have to prepare. I have to purchase to make sure I show her love. And some of y'all are going, that seems materialistic. Listen, sometimes gifts are not just what I buy. It's something I make. It's something I design. I write a little sticky note. I love you, boo. Put it on her mirror. Sometimes I'll break out like a marker. I broke the wrong one out one time. But I'll put like a little message on the mirror, right? That one's still on that one. But uh, you can find ways to show love. Now, here's what's important. This is not just romantic relationships. I'm not just talking about romance this weekend. I'm talking about communication is the key core of every relationship in your life. Some of y'all need to do this with a boss. You, like, you walk around and tell everybody else, I got the best boss in the world. This boss does so much good for me. Well, number one, let me just say this. Physical touch, not appropriate for work. Side note. But my boss does so much good stuff for me. They always affirm me and encourage me. When's the last time you put a sticky note on their desk that best boss in the world? Thanks for being my boss. Thanks for looking out for me. They give you a raise. You go, man, thanks for giving me a raise. No, no, I earned that. I'm do that. You can live that mentality with unmet expectations or learn to love people. Okay, let me give you the last two. Last two, acts of service and quality time. Quality time. If you're a young couple right now and, and you're broke, Y'all both need to embrace quality time because it's free, all right? I'm just telling you, maybe that's a word from the Lord. Number two, make fun a serious goal. Make fun a serious goal. I used to hate when we first got married, all these people would walk up to me and my wife and hand me books. All the marriage books are the same. Men are bad, women are awesome, relationships are work. I was like, man, this is every, every relationship conference you went to, men are bad, women are awesome relationships say work. I was like, I heard this message. I've read it. Nothing feels fun about this. Like joy, scripture says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But if we're not careful, we get so busy treating relationships like work that we don't enjoy them and there's no strength to go through them. So I got to go, okay, how do I, how do I do that? Scripture says this, it says that a cheerful heart is good medicine, but crushed spirits dry up the bones. James, how do I do that? Some of y'all need to recognize this weekend. Like, um, I'm going to say this as delicately as I can. You're not funny. You're not. Your friend group's been wanting to tell you they had me come all the way to Austin. You're not a funny person. You're not funny. But you don't have to be funny to have fun. Have fun with someone. Joy and cheer, it's not about you said a funny thing. You learn to have fun with them. You learn to speak their language of what they enjoy, and in doing so, it gives me a place and a process to talk about the problem. Say it this way. Find a task that leads to talking. Find a task that leads to talking. If it's always relationships work, do relationships say effort? Yes. But if I treat a relationship like work, I'll eventually take vacation from it. I'll eventually want time off from it. I'll eventually fire myself from the job and find another one. No, I want to treat relationships as this place to embrace joy and love. Will it take effort? Yes, anything worthwhile does. But if I treat it like work, I'll run from it instead of to it. So what are some of the tasks you can do? I remember my dad, my dad, my senior year of high school, he was brilliant, man. He, uh, he would always try to talk to me my senior year, and I'd come home from school. He'd go, hey, son, how was school today? And I would say, Exactly. One word, good, fine, right? How's this thing going? Good, right? So my dad bought season tickets to Alabama football. Now, the Alabama football games were an hour and 45 minutes from my house. My dad was brilliant. He said football, I said, roll tide. I said it then, don't talk to me about it right now. Don't want to talk about college football. Don't want to talk about Alabama. Thanks so much. All right, email Ryan Weckman. All right, but my dad does this. Now, here's where he was brilliant. We got in the car, he turned the radio off. Put our phones down. First 30 minutes of the ride. Son, how's school? Good. How are your friendships? Fine. An hour into the car? Dad, let me tell you about math class. Let me tell you about what's going on. Let me tell you my friend uh, Hayes. Hayes is crazy. I told my dad everything. Why? When you are trapped and kidnapped with someone long enough, <laughs> you'll talk. Here, here's the spiritual advice. This week, some of y'all got conflict. Friendships or relationships, here's what you need to do. Okay? Plan a hike. Take them on a hike. Don't tell them how long you're going. Don't even determine it on the front end. Like pack a lunch, maybe pack dinner too. You go on a hike and you hike until you work it out. 
that how long is sundown? Yeah, I know. We're going to keep hiking. I love you. Why? Because proximity brings power, and time in is better than time on something. It's important for me to invest that relationship. Look, in our house, we got a rule. You could be mad, but I'm still going to be close. Oh, she could be upset. We snuggling. I'm going to be right here behind you. <sighs> love you. <sighs> right in the back of her head. Hot breath and all. Why? Proximity is powerful. Distance distorts. Listen, why is it when we have conflict, the enemy wants us to run from each other? Because it distorts our image of each other. When I get close to her, I can't be mad at her and be closer. I'll smell her and be like, mm, you're amazing. I love you. You were right. You're always right. You're God's gift to me. God's grace in my life. I love you. You were right. Did I say you were right? You're right, right? Proximity. Scripture says it this way when it talks about walking. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, walk with the wise and become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's important to take time with each other, spend time around each other, with your friendships. Don't always just talk about the conflict. In relationships, some of y'all, I understand you're dealing with actual brokenness. First of all, no relationship is perfect. So if you're striving for perfection, you're going to miss progress in the process. Don't shoot for perfection. Shoot for getting better. But some of you are dealing with pain or trauma, and you're like, we got to keep talking about the thing. We got to keep talking about, like, she liked that photo, and you're going to keep talking about it. Every other date, she, she's going to be done at some point. It's going to break it. At some point, what you got to do is go, hey, we're going to talk about that thing, but we're also going to learn to still have fun. Here's what I mean. Go on a date and hold hands when you're fighting. Like, that's, I don't want to do that. That's why you need to do it. We, we will hold hands. Why? When I start holding her hand, I'm reminded of God put her by my side. In our marriage, hey, listen, it don't matter if it's good or bad, happy or glad, sad, mad, indifferent. It don't matter. We're here. We committed to be here. We're going to stay here. Divorce is off the table in our house. It's not an option. It's not a word we bring up. Separation is not an option. We're here. That's our commitment. And in some of your relationships, that needs to be the commitment. I'm trying to analyze why that was so tricky for y'all. Like, let me just sit there for a second. Like, sometimes you got to put an anchor down and commit. Some of you were going through like all the disqualifiers of why you still can get a divorce, why separation would be okay. Whatever you focus on, you fuel. So if I'm always focused on the reasons I can separate and I put that on the table, I'll keep looking at it long enough, I'll live in it. Some of y'all need to take it off the table. Okay. Number three, ask great questions. Ask great questions. Do you know that Jesus, in the New Testament, in the second half of Scripture, he asked over 300 questions? Every time I say that, no one is shocked, and I'm shocked that you're not shocked. Okay, here's why. Jesus, God in the Bible, the one who knew everything about everybody at every point in human history, walked the planet and asked 307 questions in the New Testament. Why is he asking questions if he knows everything? Because it wasn't about information. It was about relationship. He knew the posture of humility to ask a question allowed somebody to reveal their heart so that he could do something in them, not just say something to them. When we ask great questions in relationships, it puts a place of posture for us to move the progress of a relationship forward. I won't use weaponized words if I take the posture and humility of a learner in a relationship. I'll stop commanding and I'll start questioning. Here's some questions I'm trying to ask right now. Number one, what did you mean when you said, what did you mean when you said, you ever had somebody say something to you and you didn't fully understand it and you assume what they said and you attacked them back? They're like, I didn't even mean it that way. Like, I was just saying I like your hair. You said my hair was ugly every day before I had this haircut. That's not what I said at all. I just said I like the new cut and color. It looks great on you, right? What would it like for us to ask for more information before we attack? Number two, how did it make you feel when I blanked? Now, this may just be for me, so I'm going to let you off the hook. This may be a me thing. I get this. I am what you call a social interacting overanalyzer and investigator. I leave every social interaction, and for the first 10 minutes, I'm thinking about everything I said, how they responded. Oh, wait, man, the dap up wasn't fully clean. Uh, oh, man, went for the bro hug. They went for the fist bump. Oh, that was weird. Um, I said this. Their face looked funny. Did I offend them? Did I make them mad? Uh, okay, uh, bro, so good to see you tonight, exclamation mark, YouTube, period. They're mad. They're so frustrated. I, you, anybody, just wave at me if I'm not the only one. Anybody? Oh, man, y'all my people. Okay. Whew. All right. Here's why I ask the question, how did it make you feel when I blanked? Because the best thing I can give someone or they can give me in any relationship is simply clarity. 
Communication always should lead us to clarity. So if I ask them the question, you go, James, that feels needy. No, 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 I don't want to be needy, so I need to be fully known. And when I'm fully known, I won't feel needy. Number three, last question, is there a better way than your way or my way? Is there a third option? You go, but no, I'm right. Okay, well, if it's being right or having the relationship, what do you want? Because sometimes I have to put myself in a place of compromise and going, wait, there may be something better for us. If I walk one way and my friend walks another, aren't we better if we walk this direction, which is a different direction, but we do so together? I think so. Sometimes it's going, there's a third option. Number four, I'm getting ready to close. When in doubt, choose encouragement. When in doubt, choose encouragement. Proverbs 12 and 25, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. We're not built for this today. We're in the most highly critical culture, cancel culture. Like, it's even with kids, man, it's wild. Like, they're so afraid of, like, like how they fit in and what their haircut is. But what's wild, you see, with adults, like, what they can post and what they say. And, like, we're so nervous about somebody critiquing what we say and do. I had a friend, he's a chaplain for an NBA team. He's like a, a... NBA basketball pastor, pretty cool gig, honestly. Um, and he's in the city, but the city's kind of dope, but the team is kind of trash. Um, and, and what I mean by that, they can't keep a good player. They'll have good players kind of cycle through, but never can keep a good player. It's wild. So I asked him one day, I go, bro, why can't you keep a good player? Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Is like the organization bad? Is the GM bad? He said, dude, it's the wildest thing. He said, all of our superstar players say this. I expect to get booed on the road. But our arena is different. When they're at home and they underperform to the fans' expectations, the home team will get booed by the home fans. Nobody wants to go home and get booed. Romantic relationships, spouses, let me give it to you this way. Don't boo your boo. (laughs) Don't boo your boo. We're getting booed everywhere else. We expect to get booed at our job. We expect to get booed in society and culture. The last place we should get booed is in our home. And as believers, the last place we should get booed is in this place. This should be a place of hope and encouragement and affirmation and courage to move your life forward. That's what we can expect, right? So why don't we do it? Because as humans, we're built to see the thing that's missing. They took a, a group of people, put them in a room, white floor, white chairs, white walls, Ceiling tiles, one missing ceiling tile. They brought everyone in and said, what did you notice about the room? What did most people say that they notice? One missing tile. Don't we do that in relationships? We do the one missing thing? I'm trying to make you better. No, no, no. You keep trying to make them better long enough. That way you're going to make them bitter. I don't want to just call you out. I want to call you up. I want to call you up what's in you already. Several years ago, our firstborn son, Britt and I, you know, we decided a long time ago, we're not going to raise nice boys, we're going to raise good men. And so my, young, my oldest son, when he was younger, I would tell him, like, when another man walks in the room, you stand up. Put your shoulders back. You shake their hand. This is the way we shake hands. You introduce yourself. When they introduce their self, you say, nice to meet you. And then you say, yes, sir, and no, sir. Like, you, you make sure you speak with authority. Speak from your chest. You got it? pastor friend of mine came around, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, hey, man, um, he's three years old. (laughs) I said, that's right, building strong men, day by day, built to last, changing the world, good men, right? I was so excited. He goes, no. He's age three. He said, for the next decade of his life, the next 10 years, you got one job. You dump as much confidence as you can in that little boy's heart. So when life knocks him to his knees, he's got something in him to stand him back up again. Help me understand some of our human dilemma. It's not we're bad people, just living with bad pictures. No, we got bad seed that's been planted. Some of us have had seeds, words as seeds planted in our heart of death about us and about how we operate in relationships and that's happened so long that what comes to the tip of our tongue is destruction. You're not even choosing it. It just comes up out of you. The scripture says it this way when Jesus was describing it. He said that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. But if we're not careful, you know what we try to do? We try to change up all the fruit. We like run around like, oh, let me pluck that fruit off the tree real quick. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 before you try to alter the fruit, change the root. 
And if I want to change the root, i got to change the seeds that have been planted. Some of us in this room are struggling in relationships because of death. Broken seeds have been planted in your life. Some of y'all remember my story, part of my story early on in life, coupled with some of the pain and trauma, was I have a fourth grade teacher, and um, I, I leave it anonymous to protect the guilty, but my fourth grade teacher, never forget one day she looked at me, she said, James Powell, you talk too much, you'll never amount to anything. I was so mad at Miss Langner, I could not stand her. <laughs> Many of y'all know that part of my story, it was a seed of death, that my mouth, my words were a glitch. I've been through like speech impediments and speech therapy, but then I had a different teacher. I had an English teacher in high school, Miss Paula Smith. Dude, she was the best. Miss Paula Smith was awesome, and I'll never forget, she gave us this assignment one day. She gave us this assignment that we had to come to school, and we had to give this presentation, a speech in front of the class. And, you know, of course, I did like everybody else in the room. I was like, that's dumb. I went home. I was low-key excited. I was practicing in front of the mirror. I couldn't wait. My day came. They're like, James, it's your turn. I was like, all right. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, right? I've come to bury Caesar and not to praise him. I was, I was all the way in, y'all. My friends are in the back like, bruh, right? I get done. Miss Smith goes, James Paul, I need to see you after class, which was pretty routine for me. Um, so I show up and I see Miss Smith after class. I say, yes, ma'am. She said, James Paul, you have a gift. I said, where? I'm so excited. It's going to be my future wife's love language, you know? And she goes, no, 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 James Paul, you have a gift. You have a gift to use words. Now, here's what's wild. Please hear this. It's so uncomfortable to use this story because it feels very self-grandizing and like, look at me. No, no, no. Please know my heart. As somebody who dealt with trauma and fear and was told my whole life that my mouth was a glitch, I had one person look at my mouth and my words and say, that's a gift. One person that planted a seed of life that now I've been preaching for 20 years, being able to tell people, about the one person who changed everything and planted the ultimate seed of love and hope in my life and has changed every relationship and how I operate in it. Why? Because he loved me when I felt unlovable. Some of us this weekend, Jesus people, there's two steps. One, you need to let God plant a new seed in your life. You're living with bad seed from bad roots, trying to worry about how to fix bad fruit today, just let God put new seed in your life. Let him tell you that you're beautifully and wonderfully made, that you're uniquely designed by God. You have a divine design and purpose from him. He made you in your mother's womb. He has a purpose and plan for every aspect of your life. Even the glitches are gifts. You just haven't discovered them yet. He's got something so great for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never give up on you. He'll never leave you by yourself, isolated and alone. He will always be with you. That's what scripture says. So that's number one. Number two, we ought to plant some seed. If you're, a, if you're a teacher in the room, I just want to say this first of all. If you're a high school teacher in particular, I want to say thank you. Teachers like Ms. Smith and Mr. Kilgore and Mr. Moss helped change the trajectory of a trauma-filled teenager. Thank you for serving. You are a hero. You are changing our society. You're investing in young people. Plant good seed. But all of us this week, we have the opportunity to plant new seed. Choose life. Our words are not neutral. They are life and death. Choose life. I can't end this series, though, and talk about all your horizontal relationships without talking about your vertical relationship. I'm from Alabama. Was that the right path? Was this vertical? Okay. It's like vertebrae. Vertebrae's upright. Unless you lay down. Is it still upright? I was confused. Anyways, if I just give you all these principles and tools and you walk out and you try to do them, but you're not connected to Jesus, hear me out. It's not going to work. And it's not going to work because you didn't work it. It's you tried to work it without the ultimate power of it. The power of the scriptures and the principles from God are coupled with the spirit of God, which enables us to have the strength to do what he called us to do. Today, if you're experiencing a fracture in your horizontal relationships, examine your vertical relationships. Some of you for the first time or first time in a long time need to hear you cannot earn or perform your way into God's family. He predecided before you could ever believe in him that he believed in you and loved you enough. He sent his son Jesus to this planet to live the life you will never live. You will never be good enough or perfect enough. So he sent Jesus to do it. He sent Jesus to die the death we deserve because of our own brokenness and sin. But he was raised to new life to prove nothing would stop God's love for you and me. Today you get to receive that gift. And I promise you, when my vertical relationship is the right way, it aligns all my horizontal relationships. Are they easier? No, but are they better? Yes.
So today I want to give two invitations. I'm going to ask you all over this room, front to back, left to right, auditorium and overflow, online. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? It's a moment of privacy. You're here today. You say, James, that's me for the first time or first time in a long time. I want to say yes to following Jesus. God's been doing something in your heart. You feel that love. You feel that longing. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. And today you get to say yes and be involved in a family that will never leave you, give up on you, or discard you. You get to accept that God has a plan for your life. Everything changes. I'm gonna ask you, if you're making that decision in your heart, on the count of three, would you raise your hand? I'm not gonna stand you up or call you out. I'm just gonna pray a prayer with you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Wow, wow, wow. Hands are still going up. Wow. With eyes so closed, Red Rocks, will you celebrate the heavens get more crowded right now? You can put your hand down. Wow. Before I pray, second group of people, you're Jesus people, you're here. If you're honest, your relationships feel broken and fractured, and you go, James, I need the Spirit of God to plant new seed in my life today. I need to realign my relationship with Jesus, and I need his Spirit to do it. If that's you right now, would you raise your hand? I got you, hands shooting up, come on. Yeah, yeah. All right, hands are down. I'm gonna ask you while I pray, would you stand up with me all over this room? God, thank you that you are here, that you love us, I'm thankful that you sent your son Jesus to draw close when we couldn't, that you proved your love through the perfection of your son Jesus, that he died for us, was raised to new life to prove nothing would stop your love for us. I pray for my friends that are choosing to follow you that they would never be the same. Today is the beginning of a brand new life and they're gonna spend eternity with you. And for Jesus' people in the room, that are uprooting bad seed, I pray today that new seed gets planted in the soil of their heart, that they would be forever changed, reminded they are chosen by you, designed by you, loved by you, and they would live from that love. I pray we would never be the same. God, I pray in this place at Red Rocks Austin that we would spread to the entire earth the message of love, of hope, and mercy that you brought through Jesus. We thank you for it. In the name above every name, the name of our hope and liberating King, in Jesus. Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hey, can we sing this out? Let's make a declaration this weekend. I'm chosen. I'm not forsaken. I 